Hey, this is Pastor Greg Evans from Calvary Assembly of God. I want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I pray that God will speak to your heart, that he will challenge you, and that you will be encouraged and that you will overcome by God's word and the word of your testimony. God bless you. Enjoy the service. Hallelujah. I would only add to that that I believe today God is going to help some people complete some stuff that he has started in your life this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you. Ooh, that's loud. Praise the Lord. That was just my OCD needing to center that thing right there in the middle of the platform. Amen. Praise the Lord. I really believe as I've watched this morning unfold already that God wants to release something in your life. Candace stood on this platform a minute ago and said that the Lord spoke into her heart, just give us Jesus. Take this world, but give us Jesus. My wife stood here just now. I don't share my message with people ahead of time. I don't tell everybody like we want to make this work out and that work out. God just ordains everything and sets it together. Amen. And it always is encouraging to me when I step onto this platform and I'm able to see that God linked every thought, every word that he released into individuals comes together so that his word corporately will change us and transform us. And as Beverly began to talk about not just the faith to start the work, but faith to complete that which God has begun in you and in us, then he will be faithful to complete it in us. Then I believe that the word that God has given me today on completely trusting him is a word that is a rhema word. It is a nugget of life and truth for you today. If you will receive it over these next few minutes, I am believing for God to speak something of revelation into your spirit for your particular circumstance in life, for your family, for your church, and for this world that we live in today. How many want to believe with me for a great day of victory and breakthrough? Say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Kings. We started last week talking about revival, talking about what it takes, some elements to true revival. And I want to finish that today or continue that today. I don't know if we will quite finish it. We might. I believe a second element, an important element of revival is total trust in Jesus. I'm going to tell you what I mean by that in a minute, but as you're turning to 2 Kings chapter 18, I want to just remind you that this month of September, we've asked this body, this uh, complete body of believers at Calvary to spend some time, however the Lord would lead you, in fasting and in prayer. The Bible is so very clear and and it's it's a directive straight from God that some things happen only through prayer and fasting. I believe we are living in a moment in time where it will require the body of Christ joining together, unified in prayer and unified in fasting. That is pushing back the plate on whatever level God leads you to do it, whether that be a a meal a day or a meal a week or a day a week or maybe a whole week, whatever the Lord would put on your heart so that we can push back the plate and hear from God. Fasting does not really change God. It changes us. It puts us in a posture to hear from him. It puts us in a posture to receive from him. It puts us in a posture to obey him. And so fasting this month together, and it's not just us. There are people all around the world in 
many cultures and countries and, and nations and right here in America, churches that are gathering in this month of prayer and fasting, believing God for breakthrough. And what the Lord put on my heart is that we would pray and fast this month for healing in our land. That we would pray against this virus and that we would pray against every evil agenda tied to, linked to this virus. That truth would prevail and that lies would be exposed. And lastly, that God would send a spiritual renewal and awakening. First, individually to us, then corporately to this house, and then collectively to his body around the world. How many want a revival? I mean, like you want a move of God in your life. You want God to shake you and change you and stir you up and do something like you've never had him do before. Salvation is all it takes to get to heaven. But I'm telling you something. There is something happening in the world today. There's something taking place right now uh, around the world that I believe, I feel, I believe it's like, it's like the, the, the cloud the size of a man's hand. It's just a small, it's something I see in the distance. It's something I sense in my spirit that I can't quite put into words. I can't quite say what I think or how I feel, but I sense that there's something coming. I sense that God is doing something. I understand if you turn on the news, you're going to hear some really bad stuff right now, and it's only going to get worse. I understand that the news, much of it is really happening. There are some just horrific things taking place around the world that's going to continue but the word of god is so very clear i'm not here to preach on end times i I really am going to release a word on revival this morning personal revival specifically but listen even with all that's going on in the world i believe that god is about to pour out his spirit on the earth today god says in his word that in the last days there's going to be a great gathering together with all the separation with all the evil that's going to preside over the earth jesus is going to move by his spirit along and across the face of the earth and souls are going to be saved there is going to be a harvest of souls transform lives that will bow their knee before the cross of calvary and surrender their heart to jesus and that's what revival is Oh, I love all the other elements of revival. I love the prophetic. I love the gifts of the spirit. I love healings and miracles. And I love seeing the the lame walk and and even the dead raised to life. I love seeing supernatural things happen and prophetic utterances come forth and words of prophecy and words of knowledge take place. I believe that will happen, but it is not true revival because there is a, 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 a gift of the spirit that is manifest among us. It is only revival when the lost find Jesus. It is only revival when the backsliders come home and bow their knee. When sons and daughters come back to Jesus Christ. When drug addicts are set free and when when prostitutes are delivered from from the lifestyle that they're in. It is only revival when souls are transformed for the glory of God. And I believe God is getting ready to do that in a way you've never dreamed or I've ever thought possible. Last week we started this series and we talked about removing the high places remember we talked about hezekiah who is following his father his father was the most wicked king that judah had ever known and he is one of the most godly kings that judah knew from that time the bible says even 
beyond forever. Like that's all that who's one of the most godly. He did not follow in his father's footsteps. <laughs> he did not continue to do what was evil in, in God's sight. But instead, he repented. Remember, we talked about repentance and how he goes at one of the first acts as, as king. He, he tears down the high places. He removes every evil thing that his father had set up as shrines and as memorials and as acts of worship to false gods. He goes and he removes all of these high places, all of these important places. He takes them, he removes them, he gets rid of them. And we talked about repentance and we talked about as we remove those high places that we not only remove what's wrong, but we restore what is right. So he turns back to God. He, he goes back to the God of his forefathers. He, he goes back to a place of, through repentance, uh, of worshiping God. He goes back to church, if you would. And he begins to lead the people in righteous and holy priorities. Remember we talked about holiness last week. We talked about setting ourselves apart for the glory and the good of the kingdom of God. And we received communion together. We repented together and we prayed together. And today I want us to just go a little deeper into this same story. And I want us to look at what Hezekiah does and what God is speaking. If we're truly going to have revival and you almost 100% of you either nodded or raised your hands a few minutes ago and said, I want revival. Revival. I'm hungry for a move of God in my life. I'm hungry for a stirring, a transformation, a change personally. I want it in my family. And, and I just want you to know, even as I begin this message this morning, I just really believe that God is wanting to pour out his spirit. But we cannot look at it on this global level at first. We cannot even look at it on a church level at first. It will not look like you think it should look like. It will only happen when it happens individually and personally first. A true revival takes place here long before it takes place collectively. And it's going to require something of us that I want us to talk about for the next few minutes this morning. Complete trust. Everybody say complete trust. Complete trust in God. Complete trust in God. You're, I, know, I know that the original, the first thing that we think of is like, well, I trust God. But I'm talking about complete trust. I'm talking about total trust. I'm talking about more than just lip service. I'm talking about more than showing up to church on Sunday morning. I'm talking about more than just going through the motions. I'm talking about a surrender that we talked about last week, moving into a place of total trust and faith and obedience to God. Chapter 18 of 2 Kings, I want to read a couple of verses. I'm going to skip around just a little bit here jump around. I'm going to jump over a little bit and not read all the verses. Verse five and six first says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. And then it says this in verse six, he remained. Beverly talked about this a minute ago when she said Moses had to obey and be faithful to God after the sea had parted. They could have just kept marching and just run for their lives, you know, but he turns around and he obeys God again. He stretches that staff out and God brings the waters back here. Hezekiah says he remained faithful to the Lord in everything. And he carefully obeyed all the commands of the Lord that he had given to Moses if you skip down over to verse uh, 17, I'm going to read a few verses here in 2 Kings 18, verse 17. It says, nevertheless, the king of Assyria sent his commander in chief 
his field commander and his chief staff from Lachish with a huge army to confront King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. The Assyrians took up a position beside the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where cloth is washed. Can I tell you something? The enemy is always going to take up a position in one of your most important places of your life. The enemy is always going to try to distract you from whatever God is saying, whatever God is doing, whatever God is about to release in your life. He's going to take up a position that is going to try to stop the blessings and the flow of the goodness of God in your life. You've got to be very aware of what Satan and what the, what the enemy of your soul wants to do in your life. So they take up this position and then they summon King Hezekiah, but the king sent these officials to meet them. Now the king, if he wasn't a good leader, a godly leader, a strong leader, if he was inferior or feeling less than able to, to deal with life, he may have tried to go to them himself. He may have tried to, to just to, to do this out of pride and out of like, let me show you who I am. But he doesn't even give the enemy the time of day here. He sends some underlings to go meet them instead. They come with a word from their king, but he says, well, just go out and meet them. I think there's something to say about that because sometimes we give the enemy too much place in our life. We allow the lies and, and whatever kind of strategic position he thinks he's taken up and we get all worried and down and out and discouraged. Am I talking to anybody in the room today? We get beside ourselves and we begin to think like, oh, woe is me. And, and he's always after me. And what am I going to do? But Hezekiah understands the importance of not giving place to the enemy. So they summoned King Hezekiah, but the king sent these officials to meet him and it lists who they are. Then the Assyrian king's chief of staff told them to give this message to Hezekiah. This is what the great king of Assyria says. What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? The enemy will always try to intimidate you. He will always try to make you feel like a nothing, a nobody, someone who's been lied to or cheated or someone who doesn't understand what's going on. What makes you so confident? Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Who are you counting on that you have rebelled against me on Egypt? So he starts to list some things here. He says, are you counting on Egypt? If you, if you lean on Egypt, it will be like a reed that splinters beneath your weight and pierces your hand. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is completely unreliable. But perhaps you will say to me, we are trusting in the Lord our God. Now they go right after God, right after the, the one who has led Hezekiah to this point. Maybe you're going to say you're trusting in your God. But isn't he the one who was insulted by Hezekiah? Didn't Hezekiah tear down his shrines and altars and make everyone? Remember last week we talked about how Hezekiah even tore down sacred things that had been of God, but they had polluted them and the people had, had corrupted them. And so he tore even those things down and rightly so. But he's using that against him here. He, you tore down the shrines and the altars and made everyone in Judah and Jerusalem worship only at the altar here in Jerusalem. Verse 23, I'll tell you what, strike a bargain with me. The enemy's always going to try to get you to compromise. Satan's always going to try to get you to make a bargain with him. Don't make a deal with the devil. Do not make a deal with the devil. Even when it looks, your situation looks impossible. Even when it looks insurmountable. Even when it looks like there's no hope and there's no answer and you don't know what's going to happen. I'll just throw my hands up in the air and give in to the lie from hell. Don't do it. Victory's on the way.
I'll tell you what, strike a bargain with, with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can find that many men to ride on them. With your tiny army, how can you think of challenging even the weakest contingent of my master's troops? Even with the help of Egypt's chariots and charioteers. What's more, do you think you have invade, that we have invaded your land without the Lord's direction? The Lord himself told us, attack this land and destroy it. Wow, that's amazing to me. He uses like reverse psychology here or tries to, you know, he's like, you think the Lord didn't tell us to do this? Don't you think we can hear from God too? Sometimes your enemy looks like someone who heard from God, but they did not. I don't know if there's anyone in this room today. Y'all, y'all are awfully quiet today. I don't know if it's the rain or the, the clouds, but I feel the Holy Spirit in this room. And from the very beginning, I sensed in my spirit that God wants to bring breakthrough personally to some people's lives in this room today. He wants to bring uh, breakthrough uh, in families today and in this house today. But you got to get a hold of the word of God if you want the breakthrough that God wants to give you. It's going to require some complete trust in the Lord. If you skip over to chapter 19, verse 14. It says, after Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went where? Where did he go? He instantly goes to the Lord's temple. And he spreads it out before the Lord. I like that. I've preached about that one point right there in the past. But Hezekiah lays out the the whole letter from, from the king of Assyria. He lays it out before the Lord. Sometimes the victory comes through the details of whatever the attack of the enemy is. You can't just flippantly go to God and say, Lord, take care of this for me. You got to lay some stuff on the altar. I'm preaching my message before I preach my message this morning, but I want you to understand there's some details here that you got to get a hold of. When the enemy comes against you, when the enemy begins to lie to you, when Satan begins to speak things into you, you're sick, you're dying, your marriage is falling apart, the money is all gone, there's never an answer, your job, your career is over. You got to take the details of that and you got to find a place, you got to close yourself up with the Lord and you got to lay every detail on the altar and you got to cover it in the blood through prayer. You got to give it to Jesus and you got to not let go until God begins to speak and move you into a place of freedom and victory. The devil's a liar and we believe the lie way too often. We get so caught up in in the disinformation, so caught up in the deception of what the enemy has spoken to us. And instead of laying it all out before God, we just walk around kind of rubbing our hands together. Oh God, what are you going to do about this? I don't know what I'm going to do. How can I fix this? What can, can anybody help me? God's saying, get somewhere with me. And just like Hezekiah, just lay it all out. The devil's a master deceiver. He'll give you a thousand details. Give him every one of them to Jesus. So he goes to the Lord, to the temple, and he spreads it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. Oh, Lord, God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, oh, Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, oh, Lord, and see. Listen to uh, I'm going to say it right here. I wrote it down somewhere else in my notes. I forgot to write it there. I know how to say this word. I studied it and studied it and studied it. <laughs> it's Sennacherib is the proper pronunciation. Sennacherib. And now y'all tell me where I was. 
What verse am I? Oh, there it is. Listen to Sennacherib, words of defiance against the living God. And then in verse 17, it is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations. The devil will always give you the truth mingled in with the lie that he's given you. It was true that Sennacherib had already destroyed all the other territories around. It was true that they were a mighty army. It was true that Egypt could not rescue them. And so he says it's true. And they have thrown the goods or the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them up. But of course, the Assyrians could destroy them. I love this part. Of course, the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all. Only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. I wonder if there's some people that can pray like that today. I wonder if there's some people in the house of God and the body of God and the body of Christ that that can pray prayers like that. Like, Lord, it's it pretty much looks like we're going to be destroyed. It, it just in the natural, it looks like there are no answers. It doesn't look like there's any way for faith or victory to take root here. There's no way for breakthrough to come. There's no way for a miracle to be released in the natural. There's no way for something to happen that can get us out of this circumstance. But you, oh God are the God of all creation. You, oh God, can do things that no one else can do. You hear us when we cry and when we cry out, all power is in your hand. I just wonder, God, if you could show up and eradicate this virus. I just wonder, God, if you would just show up and show your hand powerful and mighty once again and destroy the lies of hell over our nation, over our world, over my family, over my church, over my life. I wonder, God, if once more you could destroy the things that people have tried to make powerful but they're just made by hand and they have no power i wonder god if you would show up one more time and work a miracle in this circumstance that's the kind of prayer hezekiah prays here and it's the kind of prayer we need to pray lastly down in verse 32 of chapter 19 it says and this is what the lord says about the king of assyria his armies will not enter jerusalem I feel like the Holy Spirit would just want to release that word into someone's life this morning. The enemy's army is not going to enter into your home. It's not going to enter into your job. It's not going to have your children. It's not going to have your marriage. It's not going to have your church. It's not going to have your job, your career, or whatever it is that he's trying to steal from you. The enemy of God will not have victory in your life. He will not enter into your Jerusalem. Victory belongs to you. He says this, he says, they're not even going to shoot an arrow at you. They will not march outside its gates with their shields. They will not build banks of earth against its walls. The king will return to his own country by the same road which he came. He will not enter this city, says the Lord. 
Mm, I feel the Holy Ghost because the devil's been lying to us. He's been trying to tell us that we can't get victory over this thing. And I'm not talking about any one thing. I'm talking about whatever thing it is that he told you you couldn't get victory over. And I'm just here to tell you today, let's serve some notice to the enemy that he's not going to be able to shoot any fiery darts at you. They're not going to come against you. They're not even going to, they're not even going to be able to arch over your wall. There's not going to be any dirt banks built up for the enemy to make access into your life. Victory is about to come. God's about to release his anointing. And I'm telling you, the enemy that marched your direction is going to march right back the road he came up and you get the victory in Jesus' name. The king's going to return by the same road he came on. For my own honor and for the sake of my servant David. Here's God always keeping his promises. Always declaring, I told David I was going to do it and I'm about to do it. I've always been faithful and I'm not going to change now. For the sake of my servant David, I will defend this city and I will protect it. And then he does it in verse 35. That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. And he went home to his capital in Nineveh and he stayed there. <laughs> I'm believing Satan's about to go back to where he belongs and just stay there. One day while he was worshiping in the temple of his God, Nishrach, his sons, two of his sons came in and killed him with their swords. And then they escaped to the land of Ararat. And another son became the next king of Assyria. Now I know that was a long text this morning. And I'm going to try to preach fast, whatever that means. I don't even know what that means. But I want you to understand something. There is revival in the land. The spirit of God is hovering over the earth today. And he is ready to release his anointing that brings freedom. He is ready to release victory in your life personally, over your household and your family, over your children and their children. I believe he's ready to release the anointing of breakthrough anointing over his church, over the whole body of Christ. Not just in this pocket or that pocket, but something globally that's going to encompass all of us, all that will say yes to the Lord. But it's going to require a life that we talked about last week that is completely surrendered and repentant and yielded and holy walking in holiness. But then secondly, it's going to require you and I to step out in faith and trust the Lord with all our heart. Trust him. If he says, do this, do it. If he says, do that, do it. If he says, stop, stop. If he says, go, go. If he says, rise up, rise up. If he says, go to him in prayer and fall face down, then fall face down before the Lord. If the first step that we talked about last week of revival is repentance, then I believe the second step is complete trust in God. Total trust in Jesus. Total trust in his word. Total trust in being led by the spirit. Total trust. Everybody say total trust. It's not enough to simply turn away from sin. You have to turn towards something. Don't just turn away from something in repentance, but turn towards God. Turn towards his promise. Turn towards his word of blessing, his provision. Turn towards his anointing. I believe that absolute trust in God is a characteristic of the greatest champions throughout Scripture. If you read it for yourself, it was total trust that made David 
conquer the giant Goliath. It was total trust that allowed Samson to destroy the Philistines. And by the way, Samson's a great example because he had his weaknesses, didn't he? (laughs) He had his failures and his shortcomings. But in the end, he trusted God one more time and he destroys and brings victory to Israel. I believe that the quality of our spiritual life can be directly connected to the quality of our trust in God. Now, there's something worth writing down. Not because I said it, but because I believe it's revelation to everyone in this room. The quality of our spiritual life is directly connected to the quality of our total trust in God. If spiritually you're always down here, if spiritually you're always in the dumps, if spiritually you can't ever seem to get ahead of yourself, if spiritually you're always struggling, if spiritually it's just one thing, and I'm not saying we don't all struggle, don't misunderstand, we all struggle, but with all you can do is just seem like you're just always just trying to strive and work towards just getting closer to God, then I'm here to tell you maybe your trust is not completely in God. When you put your trust completely in him, even when the circumstances around you are seem destructive and insurmountable, even then you can have victory in your soul. Even then you can have victory in every area of your life if you'll just put your trust in the Lord. You either have total trust in God or you put total trust in someone else or yourself or something else. My question to us this morning, God's question to us this morning is what is your trust in? What is it for you? This is not so much a collective message. I don't believe that. I believe, as I said at the beginning, the the revival that I believe God is releasing is going to first start here individually. And so the question is not so much corporate, though it applies corporately. It is individual. What is your trust in? Who is your trust in? It's true today. If we will prepare our hearts spiritually and completely trust, victory can be ours. Victory can be ours. If you still want revival in your life, would you just raise your hand and just wave at me this morning? I believe if you are someone who will completely trust in God, then revival is at hand. Both a personal revival and a corporate revival. The Bible teaches that God calls us to a complete trust in him. And when we do, in Mark chapter 9, 23, it says, everything is possible for who? For him who believes. I want you right now in your own spirit, in your own heart, to just think of the biggest challenge you're facing right now personally, spiritually, relationally, financially, whatever. Just think of that big challenge. And then I want you to apply Mark chapter 9, verse 23 to it right here in this room before you walk out of here. Even while I preach the rest of this message, I want you to just begin to say, everything is possible for him who believes. Everything is possible for him who believes. The miracle is yours today. It's possible today. And I'm just going to give you two quick points. Firstly, it's this. This is a trust that does not change. I'm not talking about a wishy-washy trust here in God. I'm not talking about an amen while pastor's preaching and walk out of here and just say, yeah, but everything's still the same. I'm talking about a trust that does not change. Hezekiah decided here in the very first part of uh, of chapter 18 and verse 5 and 6 there we read earlier, Hezekiah decides early on that his choice was to trust in God. I'm just going to do it. 
Come what may, I'm going to trust in God. It's remarkable in light of who his father was. It really is. It's remarkable. And so many times we kind of, we kind of are like this spiritually or emotionally or in every other way because of, of our, our history. Come on now, I'm about to preach in here. Of all of the garbage and junk in our lives, and we all have some, there's generational things, there's all kinds of stuff people have spoken over us, there's actions and attitudes of our, of our family, our parents, our grandparents, or whatever, and we sort of hold on to those things sometimes and think, well, that's just who I am, I can never change, I, I'm always going to have, my, my, my daddy had an anger problem, I have an anger problem, I, this happened and so that, to them and this is going to happen to me. I once knew someone that, that was young and their, their, their mother had committed suicide and, and she made this comment to someone and she said this, she said, she said, my mother committed suicide when I was whatever age she was. And she said, and my grandmother committed suicide at the same time when my mom was her age. I imagine this was out of her mouth. I imagine I also will commit suicide when I have a child that age. So much of what we do in our life and think and say in our life comes from our past and what lie the enemy has told to us. And that is a lie from hell. You can break those generational curses over your life if you'll trust in the Lord with all your heart. I mean, put your total trust in him. Whatever lie the enemy tells you when he comes and he says to you, like he says to Hezekiah here, look, we already have, we already have military force in a strategic place against you. We're, we're getting ready to destroy you. Our army's bigger than yours. We got more money than you. We got more power than you. You have nothing. Even your, even your allies can't beat you because we already beat them. Even your allies can't fight with you. We already conquered them. That's the kind of stuff he says. You're never going to get victory. It's always been this way. It's always going to be this way. The last doctor told you the same thing this doctor told you and you can't get better. I feel like the Holy Spirit speaking to some lives right now in this room. It's always going to happen like this. Revival doesn't come when we keep our stinking thinking up. Revival doesn't come when we keep believing the lies that the enemy has told us for years and decades. It comes when we set aside all of the enemy's lies, all of the junk of life, all of the stuff that we've been carrying around. We lay it at the feet of Jesus and we put our trust in him like Hezekiah. We lay it all out on an altar and we say, God, here it is. I don't know what to make of all this mess, but it's yours. I trust you. I'm going to walk out of here with a victory in heart and in mind. If you'll just speak to me and he'll will, he'll speak to you today if you let him. So Hezekiah decided up front, I'm just going to trust God. I don't care what anyone else says. He blames no one for what's happened around him. Why? Because his trust is now in the Lord. Hezekiah's ultimate trust was God. It was in God, not in man, not in machines, not in armies, not in weapons. It was God. I have, I have a concern for the church. My concern is this. That our confidence and our happiness is too caught up in the niceties and the, the finer things of life. <laughs> I have a concern. I'm not saying this about you. You'll have to judge for yourself. But our, our <laughs> my air conditioner went out on Wednesday. Right before church. Uh, my wife called me. And so I said, I have a dad who can fix anything. Except not really because he couldn't fix my air. 
So I said, to, I said I'm going to call dad right before church. He'll come over. He'll, he'll replace a capacitor or a fan motor or whatever it is. It'll be good. He comes over. He calls me right, right, right before, like minutes before church. He says, it's not fixable. I can't do it. You'll have to call somebody else. I don't know what it is. It's something bigger than what I can do. I said, thanks, dad. I'm talking about the nice, nicer things of life. And here's the problem. So I said that to say this, you know, I started thinking it's going to be hot tonight. I can't sleep. The next day I borrowed as many people's uh, portable AC units as I could find. And I just filled up the house up with portable AC units. By Friday, I want you to know I had a new unit put in my house, you know, because I, I was going to sleep because I started thinking, man, it's going to be hard to get dressed for church on Sunday. Anybody ever get dressed for church on Sunday and no AC? It's just not fun, you know? And, uh, and so I, I, I got that AC replaced. But here, here's the challenge I have. What if, I'm just thinking about this, and, and I thank God, Lord, keep our AC working. But what if our AC goes out at Calvary? I'm just, I know we got like 20-something units here. What if, they, what if they all went out? Lord, help us. What if just two in the sanctuary went out and they couldn't keep up with it? Would we continue to worship here? I, I'm just questioning. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just, just putting out a question here for us to contemplate today. It, it, what if they banned church? What if they lock, put locks on the buildings and they said you're not allowed to worship corporately in, in gatherings like this anymore? It could happen. What if, would we continue to trust in the Lord? I'm just asking you to ask yourself the question, who is my trust in? What am I doing? Am I only at Calvary because we like the music or, or we like the pews or we like the AC or we like the programs? Am I only here because we like this person or that person? Or am I here because I trust the Lord with all my heart? I love Jesus more than I love anyone or anything else in this world and I trust him. Ultimately, Hezekiah's trust was not in anything that God, that, that people could provide, but only in what God could provide. Our confidence and our peace is placed sometimes in other things. And it's happened, it, I know it happens in the world, but I fear that it has crept into the body of Christ. And it must not. We need to deal with this because when our happiness and our peace can be taken away by some action or something not working or something not being just right, whenever, when, when, <laughs> how many times have we come in here on a Sunday morning for practice and in preparation for the service on Sunday and, and something wasn't working, the sound wouldn't work right or the lights couldn't work or, or the coffee wouldn't make. Oh Lord, help us when the coffee don't make. And, and all kinds of problems happen. You know, what, what, when that happens, we all get, we, I, it happens to me. It happens. We get frustrated. What about you when the car doesn't start? Remember two or three weeks ago, I told you we went out and two cars wouldn't start on a Sunday morning. That's wild. Both of them had a dead battery. What happens when that, do you get frustrated? Do you get all beside yourself? Do you just throw your keys back on the table and say, I'm just staying home today? Or maybe I'll just quit church altogether. Nothing seems to ever work out for me. God help us. We get disappointed, but if we get disappointed that easy, our faith is not in the right place. Our trust is not in the right place. I'm talking about revival. A hundred percent of you almost raised your hand and you want it. It's going to cost you something. It's going to require you to put your trust in the Lord. Not only is this trust something that cannot be wishy-washy and never change, it doesn't change, but it also has to be a trust, a trust that is ceaseless. It never stops. It doesn't just change like today I trust in this, today I, it can't stop. You have to keep trusting in God. You've got to keep trusting in God. It was a ceaseless trust. 
it states here in our text that he held fast to the Lord and he did not cease to follow him. Hmm. He doesn't stop following Jesus. That's why Candace's word was so powerful this morning. When she said it, I was like, yes, that confirms what God, you can't give me Jesus. Take the whole world, but give me Jesus, Sister Donna. Take it all, but give me Jesus. He didn't just trust God for the things that were good. He trusted him when every indicator said disaster was ahead. That's what he does. Everything he could put his finger on said there's no hope. There's no way out. You're going to die. But I trust the Lord. Can't help, and I'm sorry I'll cry when I say this because it just moves me. I can't help but think of those, those Afghan Christians right now. I just read an article yesterday. It said they don't know how many. They, they, they don't even know how to put numbers on it. But hundreds, if not thousands upon thousands of Christian Afghans have gone into hiding. Because if they step out, if they step out publicly anywhere, if they're seen anywhere, they're in the hills, they're hiding, and they, they left their homes because they know, the, 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 the Taliban knows where they live, where they work, the things they do. And so they've had to go into hiding. They don't know how many. And if they step out and show themselves in public, they're dead. Give me Jesus. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. I just wonder how many of us in America would be willing to do the same. I'm talking about revival this morning and my heart is so stirred and so hungry and so desperate for a sovereign move of God's spirit in the earth today that I'm just questioning. I'm asking, I believe God, I believe the spirit of God is asking me and asking me to ask us corporately, are we willing to die to the flesh and give up everything of this world, every creature comfort if we need to and just say, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, take this whole world. Are we willing to keep the faith like Beverly said? Are we willing to keep the faith not only on the onset of the miracle, not only when we're praising God on a Sunday morning, but on Wednesday or Thursday when your air conditioner goes out, will you still take the staff in your hand like Moses and stretch it out over until total victory comes? Will you do it? Give me Jesus. It's got to be a ceaseless trust. I trust him when it's good. I trust him when it's not. How much do you trust in God? When everything's going wrong, when nothing is good, when the reports are bad, when the, when the kids aren't answering the phone calls, when you don't know what to do, when you know someone you love's turned their back on God, or, or worse yet, they won't, even, they won't even respond to you when you talk to them about Jesus or any other time, will you still trust in the Lord? Here's what I know, here's what I believe, a right relationship with God is not based on how well things are going for us. <laughs> A right relationship with God is not based on how good everything is today. Now, I'm just like you. I'm no different. I'm no better. I'm no worse. I'm just like you. I'm just like 100% of us are like this. When things are really good, we tend to be really good. Don't we? Please don't make me stand up here all alone and act like you're not like that. When everything's going great, we must think like, man, God's in love with me. Hallelujah, I'm really doing things well. I'm, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know. <laughs> but when everything's going wrong, and sometimes everything goes wrong, just like you, oh God, what have I done wrong? Where did I go wrong? Why don't you listen to me anymore? Anybody? Come on, can I get a witness in here? Hezekiah, 
understands and points out to us that it could all be wrong. And in his prayer here, he says, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. Here's the thing, friend. You've got no one else to put your trust in. No one else can do what God can do. No one else knows the end from the beginning. No one else is able to bring victory. Your money can't save you. Your family can't save you. Come on, your job can't fix the problem. No one around you. The doctors don't know the answer, but Jesus is the answer. He has the answer. He wants to release the answer into your spirit. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Hezekiah had witnessed the capture of almost every city of Judah. And now he's in Jerusalem. What in the world would make him think for even a second that he wasn't about to die? Nothing. But he doesn't alter his confidence. And that's what God's saying to us this morning. We keep saying we want revival. We keep saying we want God to change some things. We keep saying we want God to bring victory. We keep declaring that I just need more of you, God. I, I just really, but he's saying, quit letting your confidence waver in your circumstances. God doesn't change because your circumstance changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is faithful always, even to the very ends of the age. He's never going to let you fall or falter in any way. As long as you remain faithful to God, as long as you put your faith in him and you trust him completely, I'm telling you, victory will belong to you. Victory will not look like you think it's going to look. Sometimes you think victory looks like I have no problems. In fact, victory never looks like no problems. (laughs) True victory will go through constant problems, constant battles. But you just keep putting one step of faith in front of the other. You just keep walking by faith and not by sight. You keep saying, God, I'm believing you for that sovereign move that you promised. I see all of the signs of the times coming, converging on this moment. I see that the end's about to happen. I'm scared to death that that the the economic system's going to collapse. I'm scared to death that they're going to take away our religious freedoms. I'm scared to death that all the world's going to hell in a handbasket, but not the church of the living God. We're going to rise up. We're going to fight this fight of faith. We're going to claim and believe for revival and we're going to see souls saved around the world and right here at calvary come on i'm believing for orange park middleburg jacksonville green cove springs saint augustine all the way over to alachua county and beyond all the way down to orange county orlando area all the way up past the state line into i'm believing for everyone within driving distance of this church they will hear about jesus they will know about jesus they will see the miracle working power of jesus their lives will be transformed and changed because of jesus hezekiah understood this issue of trust no matter what the circumstance it was a ceaseless trust. Corey Tim Boone said this, you know, the famous quote, never be afraid to trust in an unknown future to a known God. But here's the problem. We're so wishy-washy and I'm just praying against, I'm speaking against that right now. Our American culture is wishy-washy. Sometimes our church culture is wishy-washy. James 1.8 says this, their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. 
Oh, if you'd want to quit living a wishy-washy life, if you want some, some solid foundation in your life, if you want to know that you know that you know that all of your tomorrows are in Jesus and you want victory over instability in your life, then you got to put your complete trust in the Lord and get it out of the world. Get it out of the things of the world. Secondly, this trust is a trust that understands and knows challenge. You think sometimes that, like I said, you're, you're only victorious when there's no problems. You can't be victorious if there's no problems. Challenge looks like conflict. You know challenge. You understand challenge. This is where Hezekiah is at right here in this text. He does all the right things. Remember, he tore down all the high places. Calls all the children of God back to worship of God. Right here in Jerusalem, you can only worship in Jerusalem. Come to the temple. Come and worship here. You've got to tear down every other stronghold, every other false god, even things that were sacred in the past. They're no longer sacred because you, you polluted them, you corrupted them. Come here and worship. He does everything right and things get worse. That's what's happened here. The king of Assyria knows it. He calls him on it. He says, you, you, you've already ruined it for yourself, Hezekiah. You're not going to win this thing. You might as well bow down and quit right now. How many times have you experienced the same thing? You think you're doing everything right. You're going to church. You're praying. You're fasting. You're reading the Bible. You're doing everything right. You're spending time with your family. You're doing everything right. And things just get worse. Come on. Christianity is not without conflicts. In many ways, I would even go a step further and say, if you truly are trusting the Lord, you're going to have even more conflict. D.L. Moody, most of you will know who he is. His house burned down twice and his ministry uh, center burned down three times. That doesn't sound like things are going very good for him. He's one of the greatest preachers known in any kind of modern history. He built, rebuilt each time his house burned down, he rebuilt it. Each time the, the, the ministry center burned down, he rebuilt it. Every time the devil comes and lies to you and tries to destroy you, just get up and rebuild. Don't let him get victory in your life. Don't give in. Don't even give the devil an inch. He knocks the props out from under us sometimes and we just lay around going, woe is me, poor me. Revival cannot come if the church is weak. Revival cannot come if the church wants to just lay down in self-pity. And I'm not saying you are. I, I'm just saying we corporately, collectively have got to do all we can to hold each other up, to stand together in faith and fight this fight and see the victory because God's promised it and it's going to happen when we put our trust in him. Terrible conflict was facing Hezekiah. But he didn't let it defeat him. He let it define him. He let it define him. It's going to define you. Conflict can either destroy you or define you. There are too many backslidden Christians roaming around the streets of Orange Park today because they let their conflict defeat them. You have loved ones, people you know and care about. And the reason they're not serving Jesus today is because they let their conflict, their life issues, 
defeat them. Well, Calvary, I'm, I'm speaking over some lives in this room today. I'm telling you, we're all in this battle together. We're all in this fight together. Revival is coming. A sovereign move of God's spirit is about to sweep across the face of the earth. And we will not be defeated. We together, collectively, are not going to let the enemy get even a toehold on us. We are going to rise up above our circumstance. We're going to rise up above viruses. We're going to rise up against economic situations. We're going to rise up against governmental uh, uh, suppression. We're going to rise up against anything that comes our way. And together, we're going to fight this fight of faith. And we're going to trust in the Lord with all of our heart lean not on our own understanding and all of our ways acknowledge Jesus and he's going to direct our path and victory is going to belong to the house and the children of God. Hezekiah had no other option and this is my word to you. This is God's word to us today. Neither do we. What was Hezekiah going to do? He was dead either way. In the natural if he, if, he, if he submitted to the Assyrian king, Sennacherib, or whatever it is, or if he stood up to him in the natural, he was going to die. And so he had no choice but to trust in the Lord. If you want God to move in your home, if you want God to move in your family, if you want God to move on your job, if you want God to move in your church... And in your life, you have no other choice this morning. That's what I'm submitting to you. You have no choice but to put your complete trust in him. Even if the challenge is catastrophic. Even if it looks like death is the end. It appeared that Sennacherib had all the winning cards. The devil always plays his hand that way. He's a bluffer. He always makes it look like he's getting ready to come out on top. His armies had conquered all the other groups around. He had destroyed all the false gods. Even the uh, allies of, of Judah, Egypt, had been recently destroyed. And then he says, and your own God told us to come and beat you up and fight you and kill you and destroy you. That's what he says. But Hezekiah says, I'll have no part of bargaining with you. I'll have no part of listening to your lies. Instead, I'm going to rise up in this moment and I'm going to become the champion that God's called me to be. And that's what I want to end this with this morning. I want to talk to you because I believe that God is raising up champions of faith in his, in his house today. He's, he's speaking to you. I'm talking to you, sir. I'm talking to you, ma'am. God is speaking to you and saying, I want you to be my champion. I want you to rise above your circumstance. I want you to rise up in the greater faith, greater faith than you've ever known, in a greater level of, of, of obedience and trust and surrender to me than you've ever walked in before. And I want to release my spirit in you, on your life, in your ministry, in your home. Trust makes champions. What is a champion? It's someone who lives with conviction. I'm not talking about conviction of going to the gym. <laughs> that's okay too, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about self-discipline. Sometimes we get all muddy because our, our culture and our world has muddied the waters of serving God. We talked about it. We talk about it often, but we talked about it last week. I'm talking about a separate separation from the world. God's looking for some champions who live their life with conviction. 
Conviction to do what is right and righteous and holy. Conviction to trust in him when nothing else is going our way. It's a conviction that whenever the problem arises, like it did here with Hezekiah, the first thing you do is run to the house of God and pray. It's a conviction that says, I'm going to call on the name of Jesus before I call anything or anyone else. It's a conviction that drives you to your knees and drives you to his holy word. Seeking God and praying will always usher in victory. Hezekiah prays here. He, 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 prays, he prays not that he will get any fame or glory, but that God will get all the glory. He prays here that, that it, this is for your name's sake, God, not mine. Hezekiah wasn't looking. He, he wasn't able to look into the future. He wasn't trying to get his name in a book that would stand the test of time and that we would be preaching from on a platform in Orange Park, Florida. He, did, he had no clue. That wasn't his goal. His goal was that God would get all the glory. That has to be our goal every moment of every day. When it's a financial problem, when it's a relationship problem, when it's a, when it's a physical problem, when it's a spiritual problem, God, you get the glory. You get all the honor. Jesus makes the difference, doesn't he? Hezekiah's prayer was not wishful thinking. And I'm wrapping this thing up, but I want you to catch this in your spirit. I want you to catch it and I want you to hold on to it. We've got to turn our prayer life into something that is more passionate than wishful thinking. Oh God, if you can, please. Oh God, if you will, then, then, then I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to do what you want. No. He lays it all out. He puts it before God. He doesn't ask for counsel from all of his, his uh, wisdom speakers in his life. He doesn't do that. Nothing wrong with that. The Bible talks about wise counsel. But Hezekiah just goes straight to God. And he says, God, for your glory, for your namesake, I'm asking you. Because I'm going to die. We're going to die. There's no answer here except Jesus, except you, Lord. I'm talking to some champions in this room. Revival's going to come when the church rises up. Revival's going to come. Some of you are so tired of waiting for revival that, that you're like we talked about back at the beginning of the message. You're just like laying it down. You're just like saying, I'm just so weary. I'm so tired. Don't, don't grow weary in well-doing. This is the moment. This is the moment to get with God and to hear from God. This is the moment to let God begin to change you and make you what he needs you and wants you to be. This was not wishful thinking. He knew that God could make a difference. He put his complete trust. And God got the glory. Who's your confidence in today? Stand together with me all across this room. Just play soft. Don't sing yet. Who's your confidence in? Here in this text, the very end, his confidence, Hezekiah's confidence does not go unrewarded. His trust does not go unrewarded. Your trust in God will never go unrewarded. 
I love that last part of the text. It says the enemy won't come through the gates and he will not come over the walls. Some of you have been taunted by lies from hell over the last days, weeks, months. He's like on the outside of your walls, just like the walls of Jerusalem here. He's just, he's just, he just keeps hurling insults. You're going to die. This thing's going to get you and your family. Your marriage is never going to work out. Your children are never going to be saved. He just keeps hurling these threats out, just like the king of Assyria and all of his men. You're never going to get victory over this thing. Revival? You want a move of God? You want to see your nation prosper? You want to see things happen spiritually? You want to see breakthrough? That's never going to happen to you. The same God that you try to talk to, he's already talked to me. We're going to win this thing. You're going to be defeated. There's no hope. That's what the devil's told you. He's been hurling insults. He's been trying to make you believe a lie. He's got you to, some of you in this room, to a place in your life where you believe the very lie he told you so much so that you tell it to yourself. I'll just be good if I can just die and go to heaven. Just get out of this world. I rebuke the spirit of suicide in Jesus' name. I've heard it just attacking the church in my own prayer time, in my own spirit. Man, I've heard the the spirit of God just saying to me, rebuke that thing, rebuke that thing. He's the devil's lying to Christians. Just like the, the enemy tried to lie to Hezekiah here and said, there's no way out here. You might as well give it up. I rebuke that spirit today. There's victory over suicide in this house right now. The devil's destroying families left and right. There's not a, there's hardly a week that goes by. There's hardly a week that goes by that somebody that I know that I love somebody that comes to me either within the church or from outside of this church. And they, I get a phone call. I get an email. I get a text. I get a call that, that, that their marriage is falling apart. Hardly a week goes by. I don't hear about a marriage, Christian marriage. It's not falling apart. God help us devil cannot have our marriages he cannot have our families he cannot have our children he cannot have the very thing that he's been hurled that insult he's been hurling over the wall at you and telling you it's never going to work out telling you there was no hope telling you that there's a better there's a better course of action there's someone listen there is no better partner in your life than the one god already gave you You can get mad at me later. You can come to me later and you can tell me, Pastor, why'd you say that out loud and publicly? I'm telling you right now, the devil's a liar and he's not going to lie to this house any longer. He's not going to lie to his church, to the church of the living God any longer. God defines marriage. God sets the family in motion. And what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Let no man put asunder. Satan, you cannot have our homes. You cannot have our families. I'm just laying it out just like I'm laying it on the altar today. Here it is. The whole letter, the whole enemy's lie, every lie, every, every jot, every tittle. It's right here. I'm laying it on the altar. God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about marriages? They're yours in Jesus name. 
What are you going to do about sickness and disease? It's yours in Jesus' name. God, what are you going to do about my backslidden children? They're yours in Jesus' name. I'm laying it all on the altar. Satan, you're not going to kill me with sickness in my body. You can't have it. Here, this is what he told, this is what the king of Assyria said. He said, you're going to die from this thing. He said, you're not going to live. He said, the doctor doesn't have any answer for this disease. He said, the doctor can't do it, but Jesus can. In fact, Jesus already did. He already did it. I'm just serving notice this morning. The devil's a liar. There's revival. There's revival in the land. There's God's ready to release revival in his church. But you got to put your trust in him. It's time this morning to lay some stuff out. It's time to just come. Listen, in just a minute, I'm going to open these altars up. I'm not going to give a formal, a, a, a formal altar call. I'm not going to say, if you want this, then you ought to come. And if you want this, then this is your time to come. I'm not going to do that this morning. Hezekiah did not wait for someone to give him permission to walk into the temple and then pray some sort of contrived or, 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 or uh, uh, memorized prayer. I, I don't know how he did it exactly. I just, I just get mental pictures. I wish I had a stack of papers. I, do. I, just, I just see him just coming in and just getting right like this and just laying it all out and just falling face down and crying tears and just seeking the face of God and saying, God, I don't know how I'm going to get victory over this. I don't know what your plans are. I don't know why I had to come this way, but I know that you know it all and I know you're going to work it all together for my good because that's your word. And revival is going to come in my life today. Revival is going to come in my family today. And thus it's going to come to your church and it's going to come to the world. Jesus is about to split the eastern sky. But he is not coming back after a week church. He's coming back after a strong church. He's coming back after a church that is a bride that is white and without blemish. He's coming back really quick. So there's a lot of work to be done. And I believe that's what he's doing this morning. I believe that's what he's doing in his church today. I believe he wants to do it in your life. And so in just a moment, when they begin to sing, if you're in this building and you say, God, I want that kind of move in me, in my life, in my home, in my family, in my church, I'm ready to put my complete trust in you. Then with no direction for me, I just want you to just come and just lay it all out. We're going to just turn this house into a house of prayer. My closing question is how much do you trust in God? Do you trust him enough to move past your traditions? Do you trust him enough to move past the way you've always done it? Do you move, do you trust him enough to move past your pride? Do you trust him enough to say, I'm, I'm so tired of doing it the way, I can't get victory the way I've always done it. I'm just ready to do whatever you need to do, God. Do you trust him? Do you trust him enough to go after him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength? Do you trust him this morning?
Bye.